Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Movie Dicks Podcast. I am Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schindel. Today we are cuckolding the 1977 David Lynch movie known as Eraserhead, a.k.a. A Million Little Annoyances. (laughs) If you don't know about this movie, it is... Henry Spencer tries to survive his industrial environment, his angry girlfriend, and the unbearable screams of his newly born mutant child. (laughs) So, but first, this is a comedy podcast. If you have not seen the movie we are about to shit on and you want to avoid spoilers, stop now. But if you don't care about spoilers or want to laugh and learn why this movie sucks so bad, jump in the car with us. I promise I didn't steal it. So first off, Paul, I have to do a little disclaimer here for this episode in particular. I know why this movie is significant and why film historians look on this movie with respect, admiration, and even reverence. But I'm here to tell you, they're all wrong. Flat out. (laughs) This This movie is a fever dream pile of shit. There's no other way for me to put it other than that. I'll justify that over the course of this episode, but I need to contextualize that I do believe that the pretentious nature of this movie is exactly why people hate independent film and precisely why it continues to flounder rather than succeed. Well, movies like this and Michael Bay are the reasons why indies on the whole don't succeed. But besides the fact, I just want to contextualize this real quick. I didn't put it in my notes, but like Easy Rider is an indie movie, right? And Easy Rider made a fuck load of money because it was like part of that like 60s weird like counterculture Mm -hmm. shit and whatever. And like it worked, but not on top of the fact that it's got like great performances and they really take drugs during that movie. Like Jack Nicholson (laughs) is high on acid throughout a lot of that movie. But all of that being said, like there's a very big difference between like an indie free spirited movie like Taxi Driver and an indie pretentious look up your own ass. I'm scared of vaginas movie like Eraserhead (laughs) and I think that too many people associate it with this black and white moody bullshit compared to like color road movie you know Dennis uh, Dennis Hopper and everybody else goofing off in the middle of the fucking desert that being said with all that bullshit out of the way this movie was originally released by Libra Films International in the US for all intents and purposes the American Film Institute David Lynch's alma mater which he will never shut the fuck up that he went to their second ever quote unquote fellows class that they ever offered Mm -hmm. in 1970 he seriously doesn't shut up about that dude like every interview he's like oh i applied and i was accepted into the second ever and that was back when they called them fellows rather than you know <laughs> students blah 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 blah. i'm like i watched four interviews with him and he didn't mention that once oh dude i fucking i hate this guy with, <laughs> like i i hate listening to him talk because he does that thing where he'll like i know that he knows what he wants to say and i don't know if it's his personality or what but he'll like stop and he'll like <laughs> I'm like, dude, just say what you got to say. Like, I know that you're not like searching your fucking memory banks, but whatever. Libra Films was responsible for this movie along with AFI. It was released over the years through more than 30 distribution companies on re-release, other territories, etc. And for this particular review, it was released through Janus Films and the Criterion Collection. If you don't know Criterion, you should. They are the most important film distributor in the world in that they work to preserve film as it was meant to be 
seen. Everything from Akira Kurosawa to David Fincher to Wes Anderson to Terrence Malick all have films preserved and released for posterity through Criterion. Everything from Jean Renoir's The Grand Illusion, the collection's first release. That's spine number one, Paul, if you didn't know. Spike Lee's brilliant and yet still relevant, Do the Right Thing, to Bong Joon-ho's Best Picture winner from last year named Parasite, and about 1,400 other movies in between are preserved via their releases. Seriously, check them out. I promise you that you won't forget their incredible collection. They have a streaming service as well. Yeah. Side note, the streaming service not- has like the most samurai movies that I've ever seen. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, Love samurai yeah. movies. <laughs> Uh, side note, this this uh, episode is not fucking sponsored by Criterion Collection. I just think it's so important that people know about it because it is a fucking great it's service. It's pretty awesome. All of, their, all of their transfers are like top quality shit. Oh, right they're there. beautiful, dude. Okay, so side note, I want to pick a personal beef on the fucking <laughs> Criterion Collection, okay? So Criterion, Criterion's made a big deal about, you know, they scan every individual like inner positive and then they fucking clean it up in post and they have the director and the dp like sit in on it in order to like make it exactly the way that it was meant to be seen they scan everything in 4k right but they don't have technology in order to release 4k blu-rays and i'm like dude you're you're fucking charging 40 dollars a pop for a fucking (laughs) blu-ray like you already have the 4k scans and you already have the color technology in order to give me an hdr version of it but you're still sitting on your dick and releasing these 1080p fucking 4 Two zero fucking RGB releases. Like, go fuck yourself, Criterion. <laughs> like, you have the technology. Like, fucking embrace it. Like, okay, so Christopher Nolan, the guy that only shoots film, right, and only wants things projected in film and hates fucking digital, embraced 4K technology, right? He finally released, like, nine of his movies into a collection all on 4K, and he sat there, just like the Criterion collection, and color-timed them and sat with the fucking transfer people in order to make sure it looked exactly like he wanted and sounded exactly like he wanted. They have this technology, Paul, and they already have the fucking guys coming in anyway. So why don't they just do uh, it? Yeah. All right. So moving you, on. You, you okay? You finished? No, the- no I have a fucking brain injury. <laughs> but, but Libra Films has had some interesting releases over the years, including George Romero's The Crazies, which I actually dig that movie quite a bit. Yeah, it's pretty fun. The Atomic Cafe from Jane Loader and Blood Wedding from Carla Sawa. Uh, I'm sorry, Swaura. I can't say that name. But overall, they are in an outhouse, outhouse, <laughs> an art house releasing <laughs> company. An art house releasing company with only 23 releases to their name, ending with the Atomic Cafe in 1982. Libra Films is currently bankrupt, so they're never going to, you know, do any other releases. And it's been, what, 38 years since their last one? So, yeah. but I think they're dead. <laughs> they're dead. You can- but... <laughs> AFI has released quite a few films, 813 to be exact. This includes shorts as well that are produced at AFI as the films produced there are the property of the Institute, which I think is fucked up because the student filmmaker has to have AFI's blessing in order to show their own fucking movie. Like they can't even like show it to their friends and family. They have to have AFI like bless that shit in order for them to show it to their (laughs) friends and family. Hmm. 
I mean, what the fuck are you paying $216,000 for their program for if you can't have access to the fucking movie that you fucking paid to fucking do? You know what I mean? Like, it's fucking crazy. They released Terrence Malick's debut film, Badlands, in 1973. John Cassavetti's Brilliant and Brutal, A Woman Under the Influence in 1974. And the bizarre happy endings in 2005, which features Tom Arnold's first ever sex scene. Because no one... <laughs> One fucking asked for that. God damn. Damn you, Gabe, for putting that in my mind. Remember Tom Arnold, dude? Like, what the fuck happened to him? I haven't seen him in since 2005 when I saw Happy End. Didn't he, like, wasn't he on the Roseanne show or whatever for, like, five minutes before she no, went I, and fucked that up? I don't know, dude, honestly. I really don't know. I, I, don't, I don't actually know, but I haven't shit. seen him. I haven't seen him since 2005. That was the last fucking thing I saw him in. Anyway, the producers to blame here are David Lynch, who I'll get to in a second because his filmography mostly pisses me off, and Fred Baker. Fred Baker produced nine movies over the course of his career, including an uncredited role in producing Gilo Pontecorvo's masterpiece, The Battle of Algiers from 1966. If you haven't seen that movie, it's a dope movie. I can't speak highly enough about it. It's on the fucking Criterion Collection, so go watch it. <laughs> the rest of his movies aren't worth noting as no one has ever heard of them, but he did have a small role in George Romero's 1978 classic, Dawn of the Dead, as a commander. Don't ask me <laughs> to pick him out. I have no idea who the fuck, what he looks like, but... I mean, he's in it, so that's something, I guess. <laughs> Great. I'll get to David Lynch when I get to the director's section. This movie stars no one. Flat out, full stop. Jack Nance is the lead actor who plays Henry. Besides being a Jeremy Renner lookalike, Jack mostly starred in small roles in Lynch's movies like Blue Velvet, Dune, Wild at Heart, and Twin Peaks, while also finding time to be in the 1988 police drama with Sean Penn and Robert Duvall called Colors, as well as the 1988 schlock film classic The Blob, which I fucking <laughs> love that movie. Dude. Uh, yeah, that's classic. <laughs> Charlotte Stewart plays the annoying and constantly crying Mary and played Nancy in one of my guilty pleasures, Tremors. Other than that, she has been in a bunch of shit I've never seen in all the iterations of Twin Peaks, again, because David Lynch. Judith Roberts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, okay, so if one director is the only reason why you keep working working as an actress like maybe you suck that's just my opinion but whatever judith roberts stars as the beautiful woman across the hall she's been in a lot over the years but she is mostly known as a horror actress because of how badly she aged to be honest <laughs> she just she just looks weird and fits that perfectly she was in james wan's terrible horror movie called dead silence as well as his terrible follow-up death wish ripoff with kevin bacon known as death sentence which also also fucking sucked. <laughs> She is, however, in a rather excellent Lynn Ramsey-directed movie reimagining of Taxi Driver known as You Were Never Really Here with Joaquin Phoenix. Did you see that, by the way, Paul? No, I haven't seen that one. It's interesting. I mean, it, it is, in all intents and purposes, a Taxi Driver reimagining. Like, there's a lot of mm. scenes that link directly to Taxi Driver. Yeah. But his performance in it is really good, and it's extremely atmospheric, which totally works. Mm. It's kind of it's kind of the same way yeah. as, like, the way that Mitch Glazer does movies, like Sexy Beast and shit like that. Or yeah. uh, un right. Under the Skin. Under the Skin is a better uh, mm. example here, because it's, like, a very specific tone that yeah. is like unlike anybody else but yeah. watch this movie with Joaquin Phoenix and the brilliant movie 
movie The Master by Paul Thomas Anderson and compare it to The Joker and tell me he didn't recycle his work from these two. Both of these movies, he just recycled and he went on in order to win an Oscar. I don't want to detract from the man because like his performance as the Joker is really good. And to be able to separate yourself from Heath Ledger's also Oscar winning role is an achievement in its very least. But it really is just a recycle of those two previous characters amalgamated into this other character. This is once again, a blind vote by the Academy to vote for the most outlandish and well-publicized role for an actor who has been putting in the work for more than 20 years that is the god's honest truth he's deserved an oscar for a long fucking time but i digress <laughs> the only the only other people worth noting here is jack fisk plays the man in the planet referred to here as the tumor man he's important not as an actor but because he's a brilliant production designer he's designed everything terrence malick has ever made including the thin red line one of my personal very favorite movies yeah. david lynch's the straight story and Mulholland Drive, as well as P.T. Anderson's brilliant There Will Be Blood, The Master, and Alejandro Gonzalez and Nadi 2's brutal survival movie that won Leo his Oscar, known as The Revenant. Huh. Seriously, his production design work is the best in the business. I can't overstate this enough. Like, his fucking work... Dude, to do what he did with The Thin Red Line is just a fucking masterful achievement on its own, let alone everything else that he's done. I'm going to stop here because, to be honest, these actors aren't people you should ever ever know or give a shit about period this movie is quote unquote written by david lynch i use quotes here because lynch very pretentiously claims he never remembers writing this movie that it just appeared before him on paper like he's a fucking messiah of film <laughs> miracling things into existence i'm not joking Don't you do dude. that every day again yeah i just miracle things onto the page like fuck him dude seriously fuck him he even claims he even claims from his own mouth that if you think you know what the meaning of Mulholland Drive is, you don't because not even he knows the meaning of that movie and he fucking wrote it. He's a visual con artist passing off German expressionism and grotesqueries as his own quote-unquote vision fuck him. This leads to him as a director. When he isn't too busy huffing gas and smelling his own farts as he drones on ad nauseum about his experience and how great his movies are, he gave us the travesty of an adaptation that is Dune, Wild at Heart with Nick Cage, which features one of the most brutal head smashing scenes I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) The bizarre erotic movie known as Lost Highway that pales in comparison to Michael Haneke's directed French film called Cachet, the overly long and complicated and completely boring Mulholland Drive, as well as the longest, quote, staring up my own ass, end quote, movie ever known as Inland Empire that I truly, truly fucking hate. He did, however, give us some movies that I do like, such as the excellent Oscar-nominated movie The Elephant Man with Anthony Hopkins and John Hurt, one of my all-time favorite disturbing classics known as Blue Velvet, it, which I cannot speak highly enough about that movie. One of my yeah. all-time weirdest mystery TV shows ever made known as Twin Peaks and my personal favorite from him called The Straight Story. A lot of people haven't seen The Straight Story, even fr- even like fans of Lynch, but The Straight Story is the only movie I can agree is a classic worth talking about. Not only is it bizarre and that it's the only movie he ever made that was released by Walt Disney Pictures, it's also rated G and it's also rated <laughs> G and 
and is a profound meditation on what family commitment and love actually mean. It's beautifully shot and features career best performances by Richard Farnsworth in the lead and Harry Dean Stanton as his brother. It's deceptively simple and I can't recommend this movie enough. It's so out of character for Lynch. I wonder how much was actually his directing. You know, we talked about this before <laughs> about Disney and large, you know, large studio pictures on whether shit gets taken out of their hands and like it's not really their movie but this one i don't i don't want to say that it was a product of the studio because it is really really fucking good and it's very very rare that like a studio taking a hold of something is actually good it's usually shit hmm. like the tourist which is a pile of shit <laughs> other other maybe than those he was just inspired and sat down and wrote whatever came to his mind and he didn't write it though that was that was the thing maybe maybe that's why it was good is that he didn't write it but it's it's crazy dude it's actually it's based on a true story it's about this guy who lives in iowa and he drives to wisconsin in order to meet up with his estranged brother who's dying played by harry dean stanton but he drives there on the back of a riding mower and he does this 780 some odd mile journey on the back of a riding mower and it's a it's a true life story that's the movie like that's the basis of the movie and it's like really fucking good i can't i can't recommend it enough but other than those movies lynch has jerked off on more than 64 shorts in his lifetime he's a visual craftsman that's for sure and that is where a majority of his work is concentrated in to be honest Eraserhead is a mercifully short and simultaneously tedious 89 minutes long and was produced for a mere $10,000, our smallest budget yet. This movie was released on March 19th, 1977 at the FilmX Festival, also known as the Los Angeles International Film Expo. This is a sort of film festival, but mostly it's a film marketplace where distributors can come to check out and buy up properties. So I don't know how significant it is that it actually quote-unquote premiered there. It was screened before 25 people on its opening night, a whole 25 people, Paul. When when Libra <laughs> Films, when Libra Films head of distribution Ben Barinholtz got a hold of it, he convinced Cinema Village in LA to show it where it ran for a solid year as part of a midnight run feature release. It also showed for 99 weeks, 9 weeks short of just over to, or just close to 2 years at New York's Waverly Cinema in Manhattan, as well as a year year-long engagement as a midnight feature at San Francisco's Roxy Theater before finally achieving a three-year tenure at Los Angeles New Art Theater between 1978 and 1981. Its box office original gross was only $7,589 from its release in one theater in the UK on September 12, 2008 and one theater in Portugal on November 23, 2007. Just, just the thing here, like the box office on this movie is non-existent because they didn't keep box office numbers during this time period, especially since these are theater-to-theater deals. It's not an actual like distribution agreement. So that's why there's no numbers here. Side note, I saw Jason Bourne when I was in Portugal in 2016, and Portuguese moviegoers are fucking weird dude they leave the lights on and they're dim throughout the movie mm-hmm. people come and go constantly and they have a fucking intermission paul jason Bourne. <laughs> jason Bourne is only 123 <laughs> minutes but they had a 15 minute intermission for people to stretch their legs get coffee and smoke it was fucking weird what's up portugal you can't sit <laughs> for two hours because you haven't you have add like what the fuck's going on here Everyone's got to smoke, man. I mean, I can't go for more than an hour than having to smoke. Not just, yeah. 
<laughs> it was just really weird, man. And like, it's, it's the complete opposite of, you know, film going audiences in America and that like, it's also really quiet. Like the volume is turned down pretty significantly. And so it's like, okay, so like now you're missing like most of the mix that, you know, literally hundreds of people put thousands of hours <laughs> into making it, but whatever, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's more of a social event. You go there, you know, chit chat, talk, go to the bar you know, while the movie's going <laughs> and then go outside would, and have a smoke. I I was talking to a friend about this about the Indian film industry, right? In Eastern India, because I was I was confused that every movie that came out of India was like two and a half, three, three and a half hours long, even if it's some yeah. like middling comedy. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, why are Indian movies so long? And he was trying to explain to me very much the same thing. Like, when you go to the movies in India, it's an event. Like, people go and it's like a whole day fucking thing, and they hang out afterward and they get drinks and eat food, and like it's a big deal deal that like drives a lot of other businesses around it and i'm like well it's kind of cool but like at the same time me sitting through a two hour and 40 minute version of rang de basanti or however the fuck you say the name of that movie i'm sorry if i fucked that up i was like dude this movie is so simple like i don't understand why it's two hours and 40 minutes like what the hell is going on (laughs) and it, it has like an extended 25 minute like dance sequence too because like a lot of bollywood movies have like that dance sequence in the middle it's like more like a music video than a movie and I'm just confused by it. But, you know, I, I get it contextually. So, you know, maybe after, maybe I'll have to go to India and see a movie in India in order to fully get the experience. This movie has no box office data to report as it was never officially released in theaters nationwide. More so, it's been a home release its entire run short of festivals and art house theaters doing retrospectives of Lynch's work. Worldwide, it's made a total of $22,179 an official release in theater made his uh, made his money back that's pretty good he did it only took him 40 years in order to do it but sure <laughs> however total estimated box office and home video rentals and sales combined equated to more than seven million dollars worth of revenue for this movie so i mean you want to talk about like blair witch being made on what was it blair witch was like sixty thousand dollars yeah and it, but i mean blair witch did make what it was like 187 million yeah, or something like lot. that yeah, it was a lot. But same same sort of thing here. Like, you know, this movie was made for $10,000 and it made $7 million. So I, I didn't do the math there, but I'm pretty sure that they're similar in terms of their, their return. To be honest, it's a wonder this movie ever made what it has as it is so avant-garde and grotesque. But film hipsters will be <laughs> film hipsters, I guess. As this amount was mostly made from home video release, it is impossible to tally which territories responded most to this movie. As such, I only offer you the box office data available. Its lowest impact was made in Portugal, actually, where it ranked 30, 32nd at the box office with a $1,652 weekend and a $5,103 gross. 31 places above Eraserhead is the number one Portuguese spot that weekend was Disney's Enchanted with a $253,381 gross in its first week, followed by Robert Zemeckis's fucking CGI travesty known as is Beowulf in its second week. The video game adaptation Hitman with Timothy Dalton, I'm sorry, Timothy Oliphant, not Timothy Dalton in its first week. Ridley Scott's Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe mob classic called American Gangster in its third week. And David Cronenberg's Russian mob masterpiece starring Viggo Mortensen known as Eastern Promises rounding out the top five Portuguese box office in its fifth week. Rankings for this film's box office aren't available as its official box 
office is so small that they don't rank movies at that low of a gross. I mean, it would be like the 87,330 gross of all time or whatever. The highest grossing movie of all time in Portugal is 2009's bloated bullshit dances with Smurfs movie Avatar with a (laughs) $9,560,886 gross. Fuck you, Paul. Go ahead and pump your arms. It's the all-time highest grossing movie in Portugal, if that's worth anything. Nine million bucks from Portugal. Nine uh, nine million bucks. It's a uh, you know a few components on his underwater submarine base <laughs> that James Cameron has, so it's all good. At an average ticket price of four point seven euros per ticket. You know, Paul, you've been to Europe. I don't I don't know how they specify that. Is it four euros seventy? I can't remember how they say it when it's partial euros. I know that there's like I, I think that there's pence. I don't, I don't remember, but anyway. 4.7 they euros speak for different languages there it's pretty crazy let me tell you <laughs> i don't understand what the fuck they're saying <laughs> at an average ticket price of 4.7 euros per ticket in 2007 or six dollars and 44 cents american that brings total asses and seats to 256.5 people saw this movie <laughs> opening weekend in portugal so i guess billy half ass found himself in lisbon in 2007 <laughs> With a total population of 10.53 million people in 2007, that means that 2.436 thousandths of 1% of Portuguese people saw this movie opening weekend. Eraserhead has a 7.4 out of 10 with 98,719 votes, an 87 on Metacritic, and a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 83% audience score, making Eraserhead officially the top-rated movie Movie that we've reviewed thus far this Does that movie make you re- angry game uh, like- <laughs> in in 87 in 87 on metacritic i feel is really high for this movie like i i i would personally say that my gut reaction to this movie is that it's like a 15 percent right to me but like it, ob- objectively objectively i could see this movie having like a 58 to like 63 i could see it in there but like the fact that it has an 87 i'm like why like you know when 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 a debut movie from a director gets something this high it's usually something that goes on to like shape american film in general you know what i mean whether it's a clockwork orange or something like that something that makes a big splash worldwide and it shapes filmmaking and you can point to it as like a cornerstone of history this movie other than art people and other than fucking filmmakers i don't know anybody in the normal populace that's actually seen this fucking thing and if they did they would probably be like oh it was weird i shut it off you know (laughs) (laughs) but i mean that that's that's my that's my honest opinion i really do believe that it should sit somewhere between 58 and 63 but me personally i'd give it like a a 15 you know like pretty fucking bad (laughs) but this movie ranks lowest amongst women aged 45 plus with a six (laughs) with a 6.9 and highest amongst males aged 19 i'm sorry aged less than 18 with a 8.3 out of 10 once again this movie somehow has 17,901 or 18.1 percent of the total perfect 10 votes on imdb my favorite reviews begin with christopher lloyd not the actor from the film yet Christopher propounds German expressionism meets grindhouse schlock. Eraserhead is a student film turned cult classic that probably would have been better as a 20 minute short. (laughs) Score three out of five. Upon its release in 1977, Variety Magazine purviewed, quote, 
Eraser head is a sickening bad taste exercise made by David Lynch under the auspices of the American Film Institute. He keeps growing in graphic close-ups of the of the piteous 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 creature piteous p-i-t-e-o-u-s is that piteous i don't actually know how to say that i didn't wander across that when i was reading it (laughs) of the Mm. piteous creature and pulls out all the gory stops in the unwatchable climax like a lot of afi efforts the pick has good technical values particularly the inventive sound mixing but little substance or subtlety the mind boggles to learn that lynch labored on this pick for five years original score zero out of four stars (laughs) tom buckley of the new york times surmises in his 1980 preview article for the elephant man quote unlike the elephant man eraserhead has no screenplay no distinguished cast and no first-rate technical staff and it turns out to be a murkily pretentious shocker an exercise in symbolism that owes a good deal to quote an andalusian dog i don't know if you've seen that movie paul is like a a movie a silent film made by uh, salvador <laughs> dali but it's it's interesting it, it features the reason why it's important is that you see like this makeup effect where a guy takes a razor and he cuts this woman's eyeball open it's pretty interesting huh. but anyway it, it, this movie owes a great deal to an andalusian dog by salvador dali and luis Buñuel, and to the nightmare films going all the way back to george millier it runs close to two hours but because it's excruciatingly slow pace and the underlighting of all the scenes it seems to be at least twice that long original <laughs> score zero out of four stars lastly eraser head is unrated by the mpaa because lynch and his distribution team could not afford to have it rated by the mpaa also dooming it to an extremely limited theatrical release so paul <clears throat> fred fred merkel steps up to the plate it's 1-1 in the ninth inning and this motherfucker while he has a 273 batting average our best yet steps up to the plate to move a couple of players to home to clench the series it's september 23rd 1908 and we stand in upper manhattan at the polo grounds merkel is just 19 years old the youngest player in the national league merkel stepped in as first baseman after recovering from two foot surgeries in july following a blood infection that nearly caused his foot to be <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> I like this medicine. Was- it's really good. <laughs> That's cute yeah, going. dude. Turn turn of the century, like New York medicine. It's like, oh Jesus Christ, holy shit! Yeah. Like, it's fucked up. Yeah, man. No, you step on a nail in New York, and you're gonna fucking fucked. get blood <laughs> sepsis and die. So, <laughs> this would be Merkel's first big league game ever started. We stand in a beautiful seventy-two degree, partly cloudy day as the sun tracks behind the clouds. Merkel bats a single that puts him on second base as shortstop Al. Bridwell steps up to the plate to send the lead runner home. I signal you to send a curveball down to Bridwell, and to my surprise, he smacks it. His single to center field sends the lead runner home, clenching the win by the Giants over our visiting Cubs. It's not my taint that is bothering me today. 72 degrees is calm and temperate in the land down under. What's bothering me (laughs) is that Merkel, upon reviewing the game, never fucking touched second base, meaning that the base hit by Bridwell did not count for the base runners positions to score the run across home plate merkel in all his infected foot wisdom ran past the plate never fucking touching it his fuck up cost the league championship all because his this 
limping fuckhead from Watertown, Wisconsin, and his limp cheese dick couldn't find second base. So, Paul, we stand again in the makeup game for this <laughs> event, which has been recorded in history as Merkel's Boner is the name of the fucking game. <laughs> the single most controversial game in baseball history. In the opening of the first, and this game would win the Cubs, the 1908 World Series, finishing with one win over the Giants, all because <laughs> Merkel couldn't be bothered to land on second base like his fucking job dictated. You wind <laughs> up and you pitch this motherfucker to me, Paul. Okay, it's, uh, it's 1973, right? Okay, now, listen here. My name's David Lynch. Now, it, uh, this... This court decision, Roe v. Wade, made me think about uh, how how children come into the world, and and I thought about uh, maybe we should make a sex education movie to discourage young men from uh, having sex because vaginas okay. they they're really gross, they smell bad, and I I don't know I had a bad relationship with my mother at the time, and so I want to make this movie now. I don't I don't need a lot of money, but I do need a lot of time maybe five years working on and off. So I hope sure. you're okay with that because also I just kind of like to think of things and do them <laughs> instead of coming up with a plan first. That's how that's how I like to work. Okay, so that should be right. fine. I like to right. be in the moment. Right. But I do have one, one idea before I start this movie okay. and that is a little monster child. Very, very disgusting little, little beast <laughs> that, that I want to make into a puppet and uh, okay. I want to animate it myself, so. <laughs> yes, that's that's one of my idea. And of course, it's got to be in black and white because okay. we all know that black and white heralds back to the days of, her, you know, <laughs> Goebbels and his propaganda movies of Nazi Germany. <laughs> and I figured I'd draw parallels between the two with the setting in the industrial wasteland that will be America. But I love I love those industry industrial areas i think they're just beautiful other people don't share that opinion with me but uh i i i feel like i just can i can relate to those places just <laughs> given my upbringing so okay okay that's fine david you're you're a student at afi you can make whatever yes. you want as long as you keep paying us the money in order to stay here that's all that matters <laughs> <laughs> okay then i think i think we can uh, we can move forward with this thing all right david write me a fucking check david <laughs> <laughs> all right so paul first off man you know like i i know i know that i've been railing on this for the opening and like i want to get your gut reaction to this because i think this isn't your first time seeing this is that right you know i don't remember much of seeing it if i did watch it in the past uh, uh -huh. so it either didn't make an impression on me or i didn't watch it i don't remember Okay. This time around, I am preparing myself to be a father. My wife is pregnant. So this movie has an interesting, uh, interesting effect on me. <laughs> and, and yeah, so I, I think of him, you know, with his baby and just wanting to murder it and everything like that. I'm like, okay, I hope... I hope things turn out better than that for me. <laughs> I mean, as, as I understand it, I, I don't think that 
infanticide i mean infanticide is like a majority a maternal thing in order for women to like kill their children but i don't think that i've ever read anything about a postpartum depression when it comes to men i think that it's like completely opposite that like men usually go overboard almost every time that they have a kid i don't know maybe that's just a huge generalization but you know i i've just i've never read about it so maybe what i do what i do like about this movie is it just i mean it doesn't really force you into thinking anything any particular way it's just there to be interpreted how you will Mm -hmm. and it's certainly got a lot of weird shit in it to elicit a reaction from you, <laughs> uh, you know. And so, so I, I like that. And there's some funny moments, but overall, it was boring, and yeah. I couldn't see what the fuck was happening because it was so weird. And I don't All know right, if so that was the the like encoding transfer or no, how no. It's 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 it. actually really fucking dark. It's actually under underlit. But you know, uh, Paul, I guess I guess I'll propose the same question that you proposed to me about Michael Bay like david lynch is known as an auteur director he is but yeah like do you view this the same way that you mentioned it to me do you view this as high art because it elicited a reaction from you i think so yeah it's uh very vague very surreal and it uh shows you a lot of weird shit i don't know what (laughs) all of it's supposed to mean uh there's only a few gut reactions that i had to it right Uh, but your chief notes were Most of yeah, most of my my chief reaction was oh shit, I'm gonna have a kid. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that and boredom and boredom. Yeah. yeah. So I I want to talk right away about the opening, the first title card that you see, and it says David Lynch presents, and I'm like, hey David, thanks for telling us that you're presenting your own goddamn movie, you fucking pretentious piece of shit. Like we're gonna know it's directed <laughs> by you. Like it, if if anything, like where this movie premiered at the expo, like they give out programs of what's showing that day, and it literally says like right after the fucking name of the movie, like who it's directed by. So the fact that this was gonna be, and even it. AFI or like any film school, like the first thing that they say is the title card of the movie prior to your film showing saying the name of your movie, the length and the fucking director. So like they knew who this was going to be directed by, but like David just had to have his name up there first and foremost to be like, I'm David Lynch. I'm a big director. I'm going to fucking do something great because I went to (laughs) AFI. I'm I'm the second guy ever to be an AFI. Whatever. The opening image, the opening image of uh, the Jeremy Renner lookalike floating over the planet in space in a double exposure looks like a Twilight Zone episode. And like, I have a real, I have a real problem with this because it's like, okay, like the, the twilight zone was you know the early 60s through the late 60s this is 77 and like even if you're being referential like this looks like low tech you know low budget shit where which is kind of interesting in that like the 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 scenes with the tumor guy jack fisk's character in the moon base or whatever that's actually probably the best lit shit in this movie like it's very yeah. moody and the contrast ratio is correct so like it actually sort of works as a surreal image but like the the him floating back and forth like looking at shit like as he sideways it's just like it's pretentious and it's meant to like elicit that response at least i don't i think it was anyway for you to just sit there and be like what the fuck am i watching (laughs) what is this his eyes make him look his eyes like throughout this entire movie are like popping out it's like he's like he doesn't blink and his eyes are way (laughs) out there 
but he looks like a fucking rapist. This also reminded me. <laughs> Wait, as, why do why why do you say that he looks like a rapist? Because the reason the reason that I'm drawing that conclusion is it, is is, it hair? Is it his no, hair? No, 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 no. You got against uh, Kramer. Head. No, all right, hang on. <laughs> so the reason that I say that is is that I'm drawing a conclusion based on film history. There's a movie from 1960 called Peeping Tom. Right, it's about this guy with a film camera that goes around and he kills women with the film camera. He records their last moments and he has a sharpened tripod leg and he stabs them in the throat with it and he records. Oh, that's their, pretty badass. Like, death. Oh, dude, it it. <laughs> Like it really fucking pissed off everybody when this movie came out. Like it's yeah. it's the same year as Psycho, and it's like supremely more fucked up than Psycho, <laughs> and it's really really interesting. I actually like Peeping Tom quite a bit, but the reason that I say that he looks like a fucking rapist is because his images coming onto the screen are almost exactly uh, the same sort of image exp- expression as the lead actor in that movie. But anyway, I I, this this brought up an, an idea in my head when I was looking at this: is that if you haven't done this before google image search christopher maloney one of the lead characters on um law and order just google image search christopher maloney and look at the first 20 pictures of him it looks like he's gonna sexually assault you like i don't know what the fuck is going on with the google image search but there's a (laughs) lot of really uncomfortable fucking images of christopher maloney looking at you in a very peculiar way are you seeing what i'm seeing paul uh i don't know which guy this okay yeah that Ooh, I don't, I don't like that. Making yeah. me uncomfortable here. See what I'm saying? It's a really, yeah. really weird like list of pictures with Christopher Maloney. But besides the fact, I'll move past Christopher Maloney and him and his rapist eyes. But the guy with the tumors, <laughs> the guy with the tumors living on the moon and cross-cutting between Jeremy getting his gut ripped out is just odd for the sake of being odd. It has no fucking like place in the movie. And like even from like a editing like tempo standpoint or anything like that, it doesn't bind to anything later in the third act like yes these intestines oh. see i thought big- the guy in the moon was operating the vast deference you know the <laughs> like, vast deference yeah you know it's that little valve between your prostate and your urethra that controls when the sperm comes out so i figured <laughs> that <laughs> it's like showing the the egg and all that stuff and then he like that's turns true. this that's this true. crank and then the sperm like smashes into the like primordial ooze pool that's true so i'm like oh, I could, maybe he's the, I could buy the best deference you know? i could buy that i mean that's, did you did you get that from like a contextual uh, article <laughs> Just, no i all right so i purposefully <laughs> avoided anything that like put anything in context with this movie or had any opinions of what anything meant yeah all i have are my notes of what i was seeing mostly not interpretation but yeah, okay. I don't know what the fuck. No, Paul. I mean, I, but then I'm, I watched not... a bunch of like David Lynch interviews mm-hmm. just to see what the fuck was up with this guy, and he never yeah. talks about what any of it means. Of course, right? Uh, that's his whole deal. That's well, why people think it's good. It's just it's kind of good. <laughs> it's kind of interesting that you say that because like that makes more sense than I mean I saw this movie when I was in college. Like that was the first time that I saw it was when I was studying film in college, and like when I was studying film history, like they used to make us read all these articles every week putting the movie that you just saw into context in order for you to understand where it came from and i remember that when i was reading about this movie i still fucking was confused but i'm not joking paul and that your little summary there is actually better than anything that i ever read trying to context this fucking thing because that makes more sense than anything that i've read in the past 20 years since i've read anything about this movie am i supposed (laughs) 
am I supposed to be laughing as the spermazoid splashes into the puddle? I don't know. This is going back to like intestines slapping on the ground like we were talking about the other week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be laughing laughing, or if it's just absurd or whatever, but I, I did. I laughed and like I still laughed. I haven't seen this movie in probably 17 years, 18 years, something like that. Yeah. But like I still laughed, but it, <laughs> it, it, it was kind of interesting. I was like, didn't think it was funny but all right (laughs) (laughs) all right so this this guy this guy who plays henry one of the things that drives me crazy in this movie is that his mannerisms are like charlie chaplin like the way that he walks the way he stumbles into that pool of water but my biggest problem is why should i care about this protagonist like there's nothing in this movie that makes me want to latch on to him i just fucking hate every (laughs) scene that he's in because i find him annoying more than anyone he's he's uh joe everyman he lives in no, he's the not, Fight Club man. house. Oh my and, god! <laughs> and he, uh, but there's no Marla Singer like banging yeah. away with Tyler well, Durden. Marla Singer, him. no, Marla Singer lives next door. Oh, the girl across the hall. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Okay, all right, maybe, sure. Maybe David Fincher borrowed some of these. Actually, fuck you. <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk, dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking of which, the book Fight Club is a fucking masterpiece of writing. Oh, that's great. I love and, that book. And it's funny and, because Palahniuk thinks it's like his shittiest book and he hates it for the most yeah, part. Yeah, but he <laughs> loves the movie, though. He thinks the movie was oh, a brilliant yeah. adaptation, which I think is really bizarre that huh. a writer, a, a author, actually liked the movie adaptation that he had no involvement in the actual screenplay. I thought that was kind of interesting. But moving on, he greets the girl who is wearing the revealing top the sexy girl across the hall clenching it to make her breasts more visible and his performance comes off as a serial killer but why why (laughs) does she need to shut the door so goddamn slow and lynch makes us sit through every agonizing second of these weirdos doing nothing a lot of this movie is like punishing you for watching it you know he like stands in the elevator for about 20 seconds before the doors close and they close slowly so yeah it's i mean we did this when we were making our movies sometimes we're like well we got like 10 pages of script let's just make an extended cut because that's fucking awesome yeah (laughs) yeah that's for sure that's for sure there were a lot of movies that i made early in the day that they fucking suck and i am willing to say that they fucking (laughs) the difference all about growth game the difference between the difference between me and david lynch is that david lynch still sucks his own cock on all of his old movies and he talks about how much he loves all of his old movies and how much like he tries to contextualize things in terms of what he was thinking at the time but he never actually talks about what he was thinking he just tells you about what he was thinking about the scene like oh i thought about this scene where a guy wanders into a room and he he shuts the door and there's a man in a mask in the closet it's like (laughs) i saw the fucking movie David you don't have to tell me that you were thinking about that like Maybe that's all you. it is there's nothing below the surface there he just thinks whatever. of these images and whatever films them. <laughs> this guy this guy though is the precursor to the hipster his white socks and black suit with the legs that are too short for his height his haircut his social anxiety and his lack of being interesting yeah. who knew that David Lynch would foretell the hipster existence <laughs> 
By the, I felt sorry for him because his socks were so shitty. Like I hate those <laughs> when you the elastic like wears socks. out, yeah, and, and then it wears out, and so they're all like saggy and shit. Yeah. Saggy, <laughs> you get sad all blown socks. out. Yeah, they're bad. Yeah. They're bad. Again, this is going back to him being like just weird. But he keeps his pennies in a pot of water in the dresser. You see him going through the dresser drawer and like throwing his pennies in there, and they never come back to that. It's just this like two minute scene that exists just to exist. It doesn't inf- it doesn't like inform me of like the story or like the world that he lives in it's just a weird guy doing weird shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's part of the reason that I don't like this movie so much but I think it's kind of interesting that you were bringing up in your pitch Paul about the the references back to uh you know Nazi wartime propaganda films and stuff and such like that like I know that you wrote your pitch in some way but like I did not write any I dude I don't write these I just make them (laughs) up on the spot that's why they're terrible Do you feel that sort of texture coming through? Because I don't, I don't know. No, if the... all, all I think of when I close my mind's eye and I think of black and white films, I just see like Hitler and <laughs> <laughs> at World War II bombing runs and, you know, buildings in France exploding. So that's... <laughs> wow. That sounds like a fucking... And Schindler's List. Yeah. So there you go. Black and white. That sounds like a mental disorder, Paul. <laughs> It's like when uh, when Cartman in South Park is like a, a psychic and he closes his eyes and he sees like those images of like gore of people being ripped apart and shit and like waffles and syrup and shit like that. <laughs> like, you close your mind's eye and you think of Hitler immediately. Like it's that's a fucking problem. Dude. Only only when I think in black and white film. Okay. You know. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So. All right. There's more so going we're... on there besides just Hitler. Okay. He's... Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but dude this this whole movie is about david lynch i've said this before i think to you but like the main character looks like him he has a similar hairdo the main character is too weird for women to like him he's afraid of women etc i think yeah. this is what makes me not like this movie so much because he's isn't someone i should care about he's willfully ostracizing himself from everyone and maybe you could say that it's like an anxiety disorder or asperger's or whatever but like yeah. david david lynch isn't that guy like there's nothing about him that makes me believe that he's overly intelligent like sometimes sometimes when i see interviews with uh with quentin tarantino right i believe that the man might have asperger's or some sort of high functioning autism because he's got such a fucking like visual memory of everything he's ever seen and he's seen like thousands and thousands of movies shit that i've never like even come across or ever heard of or have no fucking idea how the hell he would have ever watched it but like David Lynch doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. He just seems like really introverted and so much into himself that everything is like personal and ego to him, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. I think he's like a person who has a pretty vivid imagination. He just kind of lets that run wild. And, uh, you know, that's where his weird personality comes out. And that's why his movies are so strange and (laughs) don't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And he just rolls with it. He doesn't give a shit. I mean, (laughs) I mean, people have been buying it up, which is kind of weird. I mean, his movies, none of his movies have made like a ton of money, right? But like all of his movies generally break even and make like a little bit of money. So he's not like this huge director that's like an art house, like fucking smash, you know what I mean? But yeah, it's it's just kind of interesting that he... 
he makes movies that exist in this plane that they kind of make money, but not really, yeah. not like a lot of money. But he's still making movies after 43 years, which is bizarre. But this yeah. movie, I wrote it again here in my notes. This movie is why general audiences hate art house movies. Black and white movie, the scene with Henry, Mary, and her mom sitting around, and Mary starts seizing until her hair is brushed, which they never <laughs> come back to. Then, like, the weird scene with, like, Mary's mom, like, lighting up the cigarette for grandma and making her toss the yeah. salad. Then Bill yakking about chickens what being is, So what do you think, how do you interpret the mom forcing the grandma who's, like, comatose to toss the salad? What does that mean, Gabe? I mean, it means What's that she's probably fucking mean? a coma patient, you know what I mean? Oh. Like, tossing the salad, literally, like... <laughs> So <laughs> uh, it's the humor behind the movie, Gabe. No, no, no. no. I, 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 to be honest, like, like a visual joke. <laughs> if I have, if I have to sit there and like think about what that means, it just it means that like it, it sort of like falls in this line of like societal in society, like old people aren't valued and they're just kind of like brought into things simply so that they can it can make the person that's bringing the old person into things feel absolved of any guilt of having the old person who is clearly an inch from death, making them <laughs> hold on to it. And that that's how I buy it. You know what I mean? That we don't, we don't value our, yeah. well, cause she sticks a cigarette in her mouth and she like walks out, you know, it's, it's very textual. <laughs> I don't think that there's any subtext there, but Bill yakking about the chickens being new and man-made or just, all needlessly cryptic and uninteresting especially that like the entire dinner like bill is like staring at henry and like has this smile on his face it's like dude <laughs> so when before i ever met my uh my wife's parents that's the kind of first dinner with them that i imagined <laughs> like i was like oh god we're just gonna sit and talk about small chickens Bullshit. It's going to be awful, which it wasn't. It was fun and it's fine and they're good people. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of but the, you thought uh, of this. The, the existential fear of settling down and, uh, you know, I mean, maybe. having to go on family outings and meet <laughs> your wife's parents and shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, there, yeah. there's like a very, there's a very opposite side of the same coin, the existential fear of becoming like a parent and being married and domesticated and all that other shit. And that's like movies like Revolutionary Road, right? Where it's like the complete opposite of the spectrum where everything is out in the open. And it's like this very raw, like, you know, real emotion and everything is like over the top in terms of like the, the, the stage that's being set. This movie is the complete opposite of that, that everything is so fucking internalized that you don't really know what the hell is going on for a majority of this movie. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but you know, I mean, this this leads us to the chicken spurting blood as the legs squeak and Mary's mom has an orgasmic reaction to seeing it and she starts crying. Like, why the fuck is this happening and who cares? Like, it's like Lynch just threw every weird thought that he had into one movie and expected people to heap praise on him because brilliant. of it. And it, brilliant, brilliant, I, so I think, fucking dude, brilliant. I think that this is the most hated thing that I have about this movie is that there's so much in this movie that I'm just like, come on, dude, like you can't possibly fucking contextualize this to me. And like, it's just him throwing weird shit on the screen and you're heaping praise on him because of it. Like, this is the problem. This is the problem with indie film, man. Like not just because you can make a movie or write a movie doesn't mean that you should. 
You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> for fuck's sake. Like, if this movie, if this movie never existed, I, I, I'm, I'm going to put all bias aside in this question here. If this movie never existed, would it actually affect the cultural landscape of film? Would there be any one filmmaker that wouldn't exist because of David Lynch? Would there be any one genre, any one thing that doesn't exist in the current film landscape because of David Lynch? I mean, maybe we would have gotten a good film adaptation of Dune out of that yeah. <laughs> situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Film would have been improved if he hadn't been around. Yeah, Dune, dude, you know, like we, we had talked about this before about Denny Villanueva, the uh, the director of Sicario and Prisoners and Blade Runner 2049 doing the Dune adaptation. And he's doing two movies. He's got a massive cast and it's like, I can't yeah. fucking wait, dude. Like, yeah, I hope that awesome. coronavirus is over by October so I can see <laughs> Dune in theaters. Otherwise, I'm going to be fucking angry like even yeah. more angry than i am that i missed a fucking bond movie already and i missed a <laughs> fucking christopher nolan movie already like i have a real problem with the coronavirus but if it makes me miss <laughs> dune oh dude i'm gonna have a fucking brain aneurysm yeah so <clears throat> paul speaking of chickens this leads me to my sandwich beef of the week i'm gonna bring it oh. up kind of early in this yeah. episode so there is a deli in queens that is near astoria one day i'm rigging so we are on our own time. There's no shooting crew around or like talent. So there's no AD barking down my neck asking how long something will take. But it's approaching lunchtime. So me and a couple of dudes decide to wander into this deli off of Queens Boulevard. I run across the street that is known for having the highest number of pedestrian deaths in the state of New York to be greeted oh, by. Wow. Yeah, Queens Boulevard, dude. More people in New York State are hit on that fucking stretch of road than anywhere in the fucking state. I'm greeted by a great spread in the deli case. Fairly large deli case, pretty good cheese selection, pretty good like, you know, salad and shit collection in there. But my buddy who I'm with orders a breaded chicken cutlet on a roll with all the fixings. Me, my usual chopped cheese. We wait patiently and I see the grill man fighting with the food press on the grill. If you don't know what a food press is, it's that steel plate with a handle on it. They press down on meat into the grill so that way it cooks more uniformly and faster. I know you don't cook chopped cheese that way, so I assume he's fighting with my buddy's breaded cutlet. We step back out into the sweltering 95 degree, 95% humidity weather that is New York in July, and we take our lives into our own hands as we run back across Queens Boulevard. I unwrap my sandwich and I bite down to enjoy the gooey, cheesy, warm goodness that is a chopped cheese, and my buddy bites down to be greeted by a cold, uncooked chicken breast with uncooked breading on it. My buddy spits raw chicken on the ground. We stand there, horrified, trying to make sense of how this could happen. Look, I know grill men have a hard job. They work long hours with people yelling at them for not grilling their corn muffin long enough or whatever, but it was just me and my buddy at the deli at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. This is all to say to the grill men out there who don't know how to cook, including the dickhead in the deli on St. John's and Howard who can't get his fucking breads right, do something else. You failed at the doing the one thing you have to do as a grill man. Cook the fucking meat you send out. 
<laughs> go fuck yourself, Grill Man at the Express Deli on Queens Boulevard. Go fuck yourself. Anyway. Right, so, but before we move on from the sandwiches and everything, the, the chicken scene with the tiny little chickens reminded me of Cornish hens, right? Right, 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 right. So I start searching around for like a Cornish hen <laughs> sandwich or something for the sandwich beef just to see if it exists. There is a thing called the Cornish, and it's a sandwich where you take like a roast chicken uh, with stuffing and you chop up the chicken and you add like uh, jalapeno pepper juice and jalapenos, like okay. pickled jalapeno and mayonnaise and part of the stuffing and part of the meat and you put it in the sandwich. So I tried this thing. It's pretty goddamn good. (laughs) So look it up. The Cornish sandwich. Cornish sandwich. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, that's an interesting take on chicken salad for sure. Yeah. I could could dig that. I could behind that. But (laughs) moving on. We are a third of the way through this movie, Paul, and nothing has happened. Uh, Well, I mean, his uh, mother-in-law like starts asking him if he had sexual intercourse. Yeah, and then she starts licking on him and and starts macking on him. (laughs) What the fuck is going on with that scene? Like, you know, okay, so the first minute, the first seven minutes of this movie, while weird and whatnot, Uh, are honestly the most interesting part of this movie. Like, if David Lynch had edited that first seven minutes out and put it out as a short film i'd watch that shit and i would think that it's pretty interesting and it might make me interested in the director but everything else for the 82 minutes behind these seven minutes is fucking bizarre and terrible and nothing memorable like you know me dude you know that i love gore i love over the top gore and movies and shit like that but the whole gore scene at the end like i just didn't enjoy that shit man i was bored i was fucking pissed off and like it's it's really really hard for me to ostracize me as a gore lover in movies to like fuck that up for me but somehow david lynch did that but mary's mom mary's mom interrogating henry about having sex with mary and then she starts macking on him telling him that he's the father of the kid at the hospital and he has a nosebleed like none of this is interesting and on top of that like where did the nosebleed come from and then they never come back to that i don't know if it's supposed to meant i don't know if it was meant to be at first when i first saw this movie i thought it was like a sign that he was under extreme stress and he was gonna have like a fucking ricky o brain aneurysm near the end his head was gonna explode or something and that would make sense in well, the end does like, explode or, that's or my at least point. It pops up right <laughs> that's my point is that it would make more sense if the fucking nosebleed was a recurring thing throughout the movie right like if you only do it once it's a one of a thing you know what i mean but like if you do it twice it's not a coincidence and if you do it three times it's a fucking motif and if he built it upon a motif he might be able to deserve that weird ass fucking thing at the end that he did <laughs> but he doesn't you know he only has this one nosebleed that's completely out of yeah. context but then we see the demon baby and it's like oh okay whatever you know like whatever <laughs> what the fuck is going on i get i get that i that this is all some fear of a man who has become a father against his wishes and all but it's not like this is making him lose any of his freedom he didn't have to sh- he didn't really have shit going on before this you know what i mean it's not like well, he, he had his all he had was his privacy which is now completely invaded destroyed invaded mm. and is quiet i mean his loneliness it's quiet i mean all he heard was the wind and the fucking creaking yeah. of the building well, And the little squirrel cheek lady that lives in the radiator. (laughs) Don't forget about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get Maybe. to her in a second because that drives me insane. <laughs> he he has this tiny box that he gets delivered with a worm in it 
lays on his bed in a very infantile way. Then his radiator heats up and he sees an empty theater stage. I don't know if Lynch is trying to say anything with this movie, but we are now 40 minutes in and still nothing is happening. I think the worm is the symbol for his like manhood. He like puts it away. Yeah, it's shrinking. It's like this shriveled up little thing, but then he like tucks it away in a box out of sight, out of mind, you know. Never to be so, seen again. That's that's my interpretation. I mean, how does that fit in with the third act when like the cabinet opens up and it's writhing around and I'm just trying to think That's when that he gets it on with the neighbor lady and so his manhood comes back out or at least Is that's it? what he's dreaming. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't, I, don't, I don't remember it like I don't remember it actually happening around when he got it on with the lady, but whatever. But you know, there's no larger question in this movie. There's no dialogue beyond the immediately obvious, where people are just stating things that are happening in the scene. Like there's no subtext. It's all contextual dialogue, but no reason for us to continue watching this movie. Like I'm, I know that yeah. a lot of this is my personal opinion, but like we're forty, we're forty minutes into an eighty-nine minute movie, and like I haven't been told anything it's just a series of images that are being put on the screen similar to Tommy Wiseau's The Room and that it's just scene after scene and image after image you don't know what the (laughs) fuck is happening in the movie there's some funny parts that made me laugh really hard like (laughs) when after his wife goes home for the day or whatever she gets tired of hearing the baby make noises right Uh, he like looks at the baby and thinks it's sick so he puts the thermometer in its mouth and it says like 98.6 and then he turns back and it's like covered in pox marks he's like oh god (laughs) it's sick no he said he says, oh my gosh, I think you are sick. <laughs> that that yeah. made me laugh. That, yeah. That's kind of what I imagine being a parent would be like, <laughs> you know, for the first time. You're like, oh God, did I just kill it? Is it going to die at any moment? Dude, I, I, heard, start, like, I heard that one of... Spraying the walls with vomit and diarrhea. I don't know what's going to happen. I heard that one of... <laughs> I heard that one of the things that you need to prepare yourself as a parent is that your baby takes like really weird color shits with really oh, weird inc- consistency. Yeah. And you think that the thing is dying and it's usually, <laughs> but it's like completely normal for a baby to have like weird yeah. colored shit. But exactly. <laughs> I can kind of see that, I guess. But you know, Mary is scared of his touch and he's terrified to touch her again with this whole thing about Lynch being afraid of women. Like I can see David Lynch being that guy. Like, dude, David yeah. Lynch, like if you see interviews from him from like the early eighties, like he's still this way. And so he's only, you know, less than 10 years out of college. And if you're that way, like less than 10 years out of college, it's not like you're going to the bar in order to pick up women. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're fucking, yeah. and this is exactly my point about this movie is that it's all about David Lynch and like the way that he feels toward women and sexual and kids and all the other shit that it's just this fucking horror show of like weirdness <laughs> but it, it still it still doesn't make this movie interesting to me mary yells at the baby to shut up so anything that could have happened for me to feel for her is now gone as she walks out on henry so like you know i'm not even attached to the wife as being stuck in this shitty situation like having to marry this fucking weirdo but like she screams at the baby and she walks out and i'm like okay on top of the fact that you're annoying and you're weird and you do that weird seizure thing where you need your hair brushed <laughs> like now you're screaming at this fucked up looking baby and you walk oh, yeah, out on exactly. henry 
that would be but the then, worst part about being Henry in this situation <laughs> is you're stuck with this mutant child and you live in a <laughs> shitty apartment, yeah. uh, but you're married, but now she, you don't even get any pussy now. And yeah, that's probably the worst out, part yeah. of this whole situation. <laughs> so. But dude, you know, five, she fucking stands there crying for like five minutes. She's like <laughs> fucking crying. And then she goes into that weird scene where she's trying to yank her suitcase out from under the bed and it stretches on for like two minutes. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> what the fuck this, is, this is, she's like just, banging her face against the yeah. bed. Frame. I don't and know. And then she starts crying and I'm like, this is just to make the movie longer. Like there's no reason for it to go on for this long as it does. And the scene's just arduous to get through. Like we yeah. get it. We already got the fucking beat. Like move on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just fuck. Yeah. Move on, cut for maybe, Christ's sake. I, maybe that was a joke because David Lynch has oversized suitcases that get stuck under beds. And so he's like, damn it, don't you always hate it when you have to pull on your suitcase for five minutes to get it out from underneath the bed? I know everyone else has that problem. Maybe. So All right. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> this this is a small thing about my memory like like i remember this movie being like 77 or 78 minutes something like that i remember it being relatively short just over an hour i don't remember it being 89 minutes but i remember even when i thought that it was like 77 minutes that it's just it's fucking arduous to get through and i remember yeah. that but then when i saw the runtime i was like oh god like how am i <laughs> how am i gonna get through 89 minutes and then i go back and i watch it and i'm like yeah this is why the movie's so long like you could have yeah. cut after a few bangs of her like trying to get the fucking suitcase out and get it out from under the bed and then walk out the door you know that's but, an interesting thing about this movie and the way it works at least in my mind is you are sitting there watching these images and you don't know what the hell is going on and so a lot of that time is you just thinking about what it's supposed to mean and <laughs> why it's there in a lot of other All movies right. you don't have that opportunity you're just absorbing what's going on and then it's moving on to the next thing but this movie is deliberate and forces you to think about it and let your imagination go you know it's I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta stop you for a second paul because like i want the first time i saw this movie was in an academic sense okay like i have to watch this movie i have to analyze it i have to think about where it came from and then contextualize it with the articles most people that watch movies do not have to go through that when they're watching it okay so like even me watching it for the first time trying to contextualize this goddamn thing i remember that the first time that i saw this like there were several times in this movie where I was just drifting off thinking about other shit whether it's that, that <laughs> at the time I was living in this shitty apartment with my buddy Matt shout out Matt Silvers if you're fucking listening to this thing <laughs> but like I was thinking about like the cockroaches in the apartment that we used to live in that fucking shithole off of Maple and Albuquerque that uh, I fucking hated yeah. that apartment but you know like I was thinking about that and I was thinking about how I was going to get rid of the cockroaches and I was thinking about how old the fucking briquettes were in the, in the closet that I wanted to do the cookout that weekend or whatever <laughs> <laughs> and then I would be like, oh shit, I need to I need to watch this movie. And then I'd come back to it. And that was me watching in an academic sense I was drifting. So yeah. like anybody watching this outside of that academic sense where you're forced to analyze it, I don't think that you would be thinking about what each scene means. I mean, I think that you're giving not to be offensive, drifting, but I think that like <laughs> It started drifting in the last kind of 20 minutes of the movie, but yeah, the I was actually ending. watching it pretty intently throughout the first part, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. 
trying to interpret it <laughs> yeah but what i was gonna say was is that like that's not not trying to be offensive to most people but i feel like most people don't watch movies with their mind's eye open trying to interpret what the fuck the movie is meaning well this movie is definitely not for them yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know th- this leads us to the scene where he takes his temperature that paul was talking about and then it shows up normal on the fucking thermometer then we smash cut with the loud music to see it's covered in sores and a mouthful of maggots and henry <laughs> saying oh you are sick wow david lynch great filmmaking pal like you really fucking got me on that one like stop with the fucking smash cuts and loud music but henry henry in this movie tries to leave for some reason twice as the baby cries then he goes to bed and the radiator squeals again more images of the theater and more people acting weird with shitty music now we have this girl that looks like i don't get what the fuck this girl is and why she keeps coming back yeah but now we have this girl that looks like she has the fucking mumps with really bad makeup by the way doing a (laughs) sidestep and the intestines slash uh spermazoids writhing on the stage like what the fuck is happening dude okay this leads me into the hack attack okay this is shitty filmmaking on its fucking like worst i get that this is a student film but the fucking mumps girl looks like she has paper mache stuck to her face the claymation scene fucking sucks the makeup in general in this movie while fun in that it shows me some gore and shit is hokey at best and looks like student (laughs) shit this this again is a is a fine point in that low budget student film flick, but this isn't okay in a critically acclaimed movie that people have fawned over for forty years. It looks like shit, man. Go watch George Romero's Night of the Living Dead from nineteen sixty eight if you want to learn how to do makeup. David Lynch, you fucking hack. Also also adding to this hack attack, the descriptor of this movie being quote unquote dark doesn't mean every frame needs to be so underlit that I have to strain to see it on my professionally calibrated that cost me 400 bucks to get it done LG C7 OLED TV you fucking cockbag if Criterion is supposed to show me your movie as it was intended I couldn't see your movie David it's darker than the Game of Thrones season 8 episode 3 episode called The Long Night yes that's the episode everyone bitches about being too dark Fuck you. Was it dark on your TV? I thought maybe it was just my shitty TV. No, no, I I could see it. That's my point, is that I could see the Game of Thrones thing. I can't see this shit. So fuck you, David Lynch. Okay, so going back to this thing. She she squishes a spermazoid, music continues. She squishes another, music continues. Fade to black and back to Henry. Wow, great, great scene, David. You really told me a lot with that shit. But Mary is back. I think it's the final like death throes of his manhood. That's what that whole scene was all about. It's so who's the mumps stump. girl? If you, if you really want to dig into this, who's the mumps girl? <laughs> I, don't know. I was trying to figure that out the whole movie. And I think David Lynch just wanted to have some like singing dancing numbers in his movie. And so he put those in there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Oh, have you have you read anything what it's supposed to mean to you know pretentious i mean film I, all critics? right so pre- pretentious like film historians like contextualize this scene as exactly as what you were saying paul is that this is the death of his manhood but like none of them none of them can tell me who the mumps girl is and like <laughs> 
I've read article after article over the years, like trying to figure out what the fuck this means, what this entire movie means, and nobody can say what the fucking Mumps Girl means. Like, it, it the, some people say that it's like this vision of the future that like he's gonna have a daughter afterward and she's gonna be deformed as well. But I'm like, the baby is literally like this thrashing gut bag from like a calf's <laughs> afterbirth. <laughs> And like, you're telling me that he has a full grown daughter or somebody was saying in one of the review or one of the historian articles that this is like visions of the future of what the fucking uh, demon child is going to grow up to be. and It's going to destroy his life. And I'm just like, none of that makes sense. It's all just extrapolation on this stupid idea that you're grasping at straws to figure out what the fuck this movie means. (laughs) A perfect example a perfect example of this, Paul, and I think I brought it up another week, was that movie Weekend by Jean-Luc Godard. The movie about like that that French family that tries to get out into the countryside in order yeah, to like, yeah. be away. And like the scene that I'm talking about is like the fish being stuffed into the vagina and then like the eggs being cracked and shit like that. It's the same thing. Like David Lynch knows that this doesn't mean anything, but the fact that people have been fawning over for so many years, he tries to take the mysterious route and he's just like, oh yeah, yeah, it totally means that, blah, blah, blah. You know, a perfect example example of this Paul about how the academic version of film can get so goddamn irritating is remember how we did that movie called uh, latex where you beat trip with that 24 inch <laughs> double-sided dildo so yeah. that yeah. movie that movie the entire point of me making the movie is that my teacher said that there couldn't be any violence in the movie no knives no guns he thinks that there's enough violence in the world and it can't be in the films that the students make so I was like okay you know what fuck you dude like I, you can't tell me as an artist like this this is me being slightly pretentious but also the fact of the matter is is that you can't tell an art student to tell them what they can't paint because by definition if they're trying to learn who they are as an artist they need to explore even if it fucking sucks right so like i decided you know what fuck you dude you're not going to tell me what the (laughs) fuck i'm going to put in my movie so i chose the most non-violent object i could think of and that's a 24 inch blue see-through rubber cock that paul took (laughs) and beat my buddy trip in the scene over the head with it presumably to death but Uh, what was funny what was funny about it paul is that when they when i showed the movie in class and everybody sat around talking about it it got to this point like after five minutes of discussion where people were like looking for reasons why you were doing that and they're like oh it's clearly about him being like sexually frustrated and like something about him worrying about his wife being stolen by the other guy and this is him (laughs) showing his manhood with this giant oversized (laughs) penis and i was just i just kept sitting there like oh god like please shut up like it's not about that and this is my point is movies like this that have no context it may be simply for shock value there's no greater purpose to it you know but whatever sure that's why it's kind of fun at the same time because you're just left to make up whatever the fuck you want (laughs) david lynch is laughing all the way to the bank as all these people try to figure it out movies when he's just like oh yeah i thought it would be funny to that's why i'm saying he's like explode into a shit (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm saying that he is a fucking con artist dude but you know this leaves his cons are artfully done then (laughs) sure sure but we're talking about it now yeah 40 years on think about fuck you dude like (laughs) 
43 years later but okay so let's 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 get back to the movie for a second but mary is back she's hogging the bed and rubbing her eyes with loud squishing and teeth clicking which is a really fucking weird scene again but henry finds a spermazoid in the bed and he throws it out and then another then another then slow motion is it slaps against the wall (laughs) then another and another and pan to the box on the wall that opens and the worm moves in the dark so this is before he tries to sleep with the fucking uh girl across the hall yeah i'm like okay so maybe maybe you were right paul but now we have a stop motion film of the claymation worm moving around squeaking and this is my point is that this 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 segment i get it's i get it's a student film but it sucks. Like if I made a <laughs> if I made a fucking stop motion. I made a stop motion film when I was in college, and it was terrible. It looked like shit. It looked about the same like as this. It was these chess pieces moving around, and like one of the chess pieces, like when it when it gets into checkmate, like they kill the fucking king, and there's like blood all over the place, and like <laughs> the king's head pops off and shit. I don't actually know what happened in that movie, but oh. <laughs> it's it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And this movie has the exact same sort of quality to it in the claymation sequence dude it looks like shit man you know like there's no scene geography no nothing just abstracted images and people being weird some more and now we're two-thirds of the way through the movie and i'm still like who gives a shit about what the fuck is happening but then but then there's a knock on the door and it reveals the sexy woman entering frame speaking of which like she's gone mary's gone as soon as like he wakes up out of this fever dream with like the clay penis like moving around or whatever the knock on the door reveals the sexy woman entering frame so this is what the sentiment of a married man wanting to sleep around or what he's only been married for like what three days like yeah (laughs) still on vacation so i don't know what the he's on vacation they keep saying that in the movie but so how drawn out and cloying that this movie is paul imagine this movie how drawn out it is imagine this for three hours and more cryptic scenes that don't lead anywhere and that is david lynch's inland empire i fucking hate that movie I still saw it. So, I mean, maybe there's something to be said about that. I still wasted three hours of my life watching it. But, you know, it's the same thing with like Michael Bay with David Lynch. Like, I need to know what the guy is doing in order to like continue to shit on this man eternally. (laughs) But. You just can't help yourself. I can't. Absolutely. But the the baby cries and he smothers it for what? Like the hope that he can fuck this sexy woman in peace? Like why is he smothering the baby? I mean, it's not like she didn't see the wife coming around or that she knew that he was married or whatever. Maybe she hasn't seen the demon child. But I'm sure that yeah. this in this world that she exists in, the demon child is not the most fucked up thing that she's ever seen in her life. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure that she could still get wet and fuck Henry with this <laughs> team job. Yeah. In the same but <laughs> with its like raspy laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> she she asked to spend the night and she shies away from or I'm sorry, he shies away from her kiss. I'm like, okay, so how did it lead to the next scene of the sex scene if he won't even kiss her without any some sort of remorse? Like are we to believe that he was like forced into it and that's what this next scene is? But we get this weird sex scene mm-hmm. in the tub bed of fog and water as she pushes him down underneath the service and follows, but then there's this hum and she follows him and leaving only a muff of hair on the surface with some white liquid splashes (laughs) and then 
And then she sees images of the rock, moon, slash egg. So I'll go with your theory here for a second that she, it's an egg. Then we're greeted with the mump lady singing again. So who gives a fuck about what's <laughs> happening? Like, I don't understand what this is. Like, this is, for the first half of this movie, there's, like, scenes that sort of tie together and they kind of yeah. progress. But then, like, the last half, it's just all a bunch of random scenes, Shit, like, strung yeah. together. And it just doesn't make any fucking sense what's going on. But Henry Henry joins the mumps girl on stage and walks towards her. He reaches out to hear her high-pitched humming now. The, the soundtrack of this movie, I'm not going to give it that it's innovative sound design. Like, the sound design in this movie fucking sucks. It's annoying. And, like, this is a perfect example. Like, high-pitched humming, then she disappears. And we cut back to the emptiness twice as he sees the tumor guy and the intestines blowing around. So it's like, yeah. she disappears and it's like, oh, okay, she's gone. And then we cut back to him and then we cut back to empty and then we cut back to him and we cut back to empty and I'm like I get it David the frame's empty she's gone I get it stop cutting back this tree rolls out on the stage on its own rolls out on stage his head pops off <laughs> from behind this fucking thing and the worm Slows slash demon he no it's not even the demon baby head. It's like the worm head pops out and then an empty or out of his empty neck, then an empty neck. Then the tree bleeds. The baby head grows from his neck and cries really loudly for three fucking minutes <laughs> until his head falls through the frame into a puddle and splats on the ground and his scalp <laughs> comes off. Then there's an old man that reaches out in order to try to grab the head. Then some kid runs up and steals it and takes it off to some guy after he rings a bell. So, like, what the hell is going on here? Like, there, this is only leading up to another bird or another guy bursts out of a door in order to see this kid with the head. He laughs and the, takes uh, him into the other room. The, the clerk at the desk scene was kind of funny. I laughed pretty hard. And he's sitting Why? there. He's because, well, because he, he yells out and he's like, okay, Paul, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this dude's like sitting, I don't know, it looks like a hotel lobby or a, I don't know. He's like concierge or whatever. And he sees this kid holding a human head. And so he's ringing this bell, like you know, crazy, with yeah. this urgency. And then the dude comes out and he's like, okay, ball, I get it. You know, <laughs> that, that made me laugh right there. That was pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a comedic moment enough. But. I don't understand why they make erasers out of his brain after that. <laughs> it's only so that way David David Lynch can call it a racer head. But, you oh, know, that, that leads sense. us into the next scene where he, he some other asshole is in a room is reading a book and decides to drill into the head taking a core out of the head then he sticks the core into a hole in the wall and the machine he sits in front of, in front of makes loud noises as he makes the core into a into the title of the movie erasers on erasers. pencils yeah wow so clever it all makes sense now i understand the whole movie a real inspiration <laughs> to indie filmmakers here so Numbnuts says the erasers are okay and he pays the kid and he brushes the eraser dust off the desk to reveal Henry having a nightmare, presumably, where all the eraser dust is like blowing yeah, behind him. It was a nightmare within a nightmare within a nightmare. Sure, sure. But he wakes up several times throughout yeah. this whole sequence. 
but Henry Henry sees some guy get beaten to death outside of his window. Hears some no- noises, and then he knocks on the sexy woman's door, but she doesn't answer, and he walks back in on the baby, laughing at him. Maybe this is like going back to that theory that like this is all his manhood or blah 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 blah. But like the baby represents that he can't be this like playboy that he wants to be. But I mean, again, he wasn't the fucking playboy that he wants to be before, so nothing got lost in him having a child. <laughs> But whatever, you know, I mean, nothing happened there. The whole movie, I just, it was a dream. But this whole movie, this whole movie seems to be about impotence, both physical and emotional. But again, who gives a fuck? This guy isn't likable. Like none of this shit makes sense. Who gives a shit about what's happening? But he opens the door to see sexy woman being groped by that ugly, greasy looking motherfucker. And she sees Henry with his demon baby head. Then he slams the door and pouts about it for a few minutes to grab a pair of scissors and approaches the baby. And like, this is the only part of the movie that it it sort of is like, okay, they're going to end this fucking thing. Like they're going to kill the baby. Like this is get this over with for Christ's sake. But then he cuts off the bandages as the baby chokes and gasps to reveal the baby's gut opening up, presumably being held together by the bandages. Yeah. But he reaches out, he stabs it, he cuts it, watches it squirt blood and pus as it foams out oatmeal lights flicker loud i thought it was supposed to be like shit you know just like baby shit spraying out everywhere but But, i mean there's more baby shit than there's baby like that's (laughs) part of the comedy there's like loud (laughs) this is a comedic movie for sure (laughs) there's like loud droning noises and then he whimpers in the corner and looks out confused with his only facial expression that he can do throughout this movie. Now the baby's head is huge and jumps around the room and <laughs> smash cuts. Even more noise as the light bulb bursts and we see the meteor again as it explodes. Like, what the fuck is going on here, Paul? I mean, I mean, maybe Let's this is all him... Maybe this is all a fever dream of him worrying about her being pregnant and the egg exploding is like her getting an abortion, maybe. Yeah. I don't, Let's go I don't with that. know. Sure. Okay. So, so back as back. equally valid of a point as anything <laughs> else Any anyone has yeah. written about this shit. So. so we go back to the tumor guy pushing lever levers, a bunch of white light, and mumps girl embracing Henry. Even more noise now as we cut to black. The end. Well, don't forget that he he hugs the squirrel girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The girl with the mumps. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Mumps girl. Okay, okay. Yeah. But then more noise and it cuts to black. The end. Thank you, David Lynch, for assaulting (laughs) me with this stupidity (laughs) for 89 minutes. No, seriously, dude. Like this this movie, like I can't I can't even start to try to break this thing down because it just it fucking irritates me on such a base level. Cause I'm like, I don't I don't know what you're trying to say. Like it doesn't even matter what you're trying to say because none of this is accessible to anybody. Like it's the only people that this is accessible to are the fucking pretentious douchebags that sit there at MoMA and they look at a piece of fucking neon art that is literally a neon tube that's spells out war on the wall and they sit there and they fucking talk about it for a half an hour. That's the kind of mo- people that see this kind of movie and actually enjoy it. Like, dude, it's a fucking neon bulb that says war. Like, he's not trying to say anything. Oh, yeah, it's commercialism of war in order to, like, fund the capitalist society. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, you're just, you're digging, you know? 
Whatever. No, I all right. I think this movie can mean nothing to people and be a piece of shit. And it can also be meaningful to other people, and that's that's what makes it interesting, you know. And, and, was, and, it, <laughs> what, was it meaningful to you, Paul? Would you would you ever watch this movie again? Is the real question. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't again. But uh, I thought things when I watched it, and you know the whole like fatherhood theme and <laughs> all of that that uh that struck me a little bit okay uh, all right so maybe um, i just haven't gotten there maybe with this movie my wife's not yeah. pregnant so maybe oh, uh, i'm not good. a father yeah. Just, uh, yeah you don't want any mutant babies right now <laughs> i mean even even from a contextual landscape of like what was going on in 77 it's not like it's not like this was like you know during the time period in post Hiroshima, for instance, where they were like trying to inoculate people against radiation sickness and they were giving women this really fucked up cocktails of weird shit that was causing an entire generation yeah. of children to be born without arms, without stomachs, without eyeballs. Like it's none of that shit. He's not even trying to contextualize that because he's 25 years late on that. Yeah. Well, I could see how this is a pro abortion movie. <laughs> given that Roe v. Wade happened in 1973 and it's yeah. all about legal abortion. And this is like, okay, maybe there's a time when you get an abortion and this <laughs> is it. Right? This, is, this is why. <laughs> From like, uh, it, even, you know, abortion is usually framed as very beneficial to the man, you know, in right. that the woman is now locked into that relationship and right. she's dependent on the man. But uh, in this case, he doesn't want it and it happens anyways. And so, uh, right. To, to be know. clear, Paul, Paul is, uh, Paul is contextualizing <laughs> this in a heteronormative stance, like not, right. not saying that women are dependent upon men necessarily. Right. From a patriarchal 1975 man, you know, yeah. you don't want those women like just having kids out of wedlock and things right. like that. So, right. Uh, right. Right. I guess I can see that. <laughs> Once again, this is all just a bunch of bullshit that's streaming out now. Right. But because of the way this movie is made, is perfectly valid, in my opinion. So. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> so fuck we- all you people who <laughs> <laughs> interpret me differently. <laughs> so paul like this this is i mean you brought it up just now but like this is i think that all this comes out of like you trying to justify the fact that you sat through 89 minutes of this <laughs> <laughs> no no i am just more insightful than you gabe that's okay. that's why i like this yeah. it's yeah. not just some guy raging on a movie from 77 <laughs> <laughs> No. Okay. So do you have anything else left to say about this movie, Paul? No, I don't think so. I can't. uh, (laughs) Most of my notes were just writing down what I was seeing. That's cuts baby's body wrap to reveal some organs, stabs it. It erodes (laughs) into a shit volcano, head flops around, turns into giant head. The head slash rock egg cracks open. Those are my, those are my notes. (laughs) That's the end of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, people. Well, that that was 1977's Eraserhead by David Lynch. I fucking hate this movie. I can't say that enough. Like, I 
I hate any film professor that sits there and forces people to watch this fucking thing as if it's something that we should know about. This movie doesn't have a place in film history and that it affected like an entire generation of filmmakers after it. It's just Lynch. Like it just shows the beginning of David Lynch and where he came from. And then looking back on his career in retrospect, you can be like, oh yeah, well that, that kind of makes kind of sense. You know, like- uh, I think it affected like film criticism a lot. And, and that they were forced you know, to deal with avant-garde. Well, I mean, avant-garde came about long before this, but maybe this kind of brought it into uh, the kind of 90s America type thing. Or something. Some new <laughs> bullshit here. But. Yeah. All right. So, Paul, uh, thinking about next week real quick. So, I, I want to ask, because I didn't sit down and I didn't watch uh, The Iron Mask, Journey to China, whatever the fuck. I know that you said it was just kind of meh, but like from the trailer, it looked like absolute shit. It looked terrible. Terrible visuals, terrible CG. <laughs> I mean, the whole reason you'd want to watch that is for Jack Chan and Arnold, right? They don't, they're not really, they, they have like one scene in the movie, like a long scene, but then the story leaves them behind and that's, that's the end of it. Right. I mean, their scenes are pretty bad. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it, I'm sh- yeah, there's a lot to complain about, but it just wasn't good or bad enough for me to care, I guess. <laughs> to rage on, either yeah. To, yeah, to either laugh at or like in some way. There's nothing <laughs> likable eh, for me, at least. Right. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe I'll get around to watching it, but it, it sounds more like a waste of time than anything. Yeah. It's not funny yeah. or it's not interesting. You can talk about all the Jackie Chan movies that I do like, but... <laughs> yeah you know i mean i've kind of had like a falling out with jackie chan over the years because you know looking back on him in retrospect like he is a horror show of a of a human being when it comes to his family oh yeah like his his daughter is gay and his daughter like ended up homeless because jackie chan was like no that's immoral blah 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 blah, and like kicked her out of the house and disowned her yeah he did a lot of fucked up shit to his daughter but but (laughs) i i wanted to talk about i added some shit here i added uh the informers because like i don't know if you remember that movie or if you saw it but it was like it's it's based on a brett easton ellis novel and it was the movie that mickey rourke did right after the wrestler and i was interested in it which is the reason that i saw it but it's terrible like it's unbelievably bad it's like this weird neo-noir thing with vampires in la yeah and it fucking sucks you and i are both fans of brett easton ellis in terms of his writing like i know that you read american psycho i read a couple more than you but like that movie i was like god damn it like please take brett's name off this fucking thing (laughs) jesus christ but like i added artemis fowl on here my brother texted me about that and he says it's fucking insanely bad but i was thinking about i was thinking about ender's game too because you are a huge orson scott card fan and i don't know if you ever saw the movie i did i was kind of reserved and yeah the movie the movie's pretty lackluster i I don't know i guess there's it's got its good points but not but not enough in order for you to hate on it uh no i can hate on a lot of things i think in the movie (laughs) but it's uh it certainly didn't live up to how the book kind of changed my life and everything you know but of course (laughs) i read the book when i was the the young child and uh so you know that book it was written for you know kind of a a young adult crowd i'd say but yeah i don't know 
It's uh, yeah, that'd be a good one. Still, <laughs> what about still a, a sports movie or speed racer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, let's let's do a coin flip for uh, speed racers slash hackers because I want to I want to talk about hackers because that's a really fucking bad movie that I don't know why people still. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know why people still watch that movie or why there's like this subcurrent of nerds that likes that movie because it's fucking terrible and it like it doesn't represent hacking or computers <laughs> in any sort of like truth. It's just fucking bad. There's this TV show called Scorpion and I don't know if it's still on but it takes place where it's like in LA and it's got hackers and shit but there's this scene that it's absolutely ridiculous and it's the only part that I've seen of that tv show but it features this scene or no i've seen two parts of that tv show but one of them is is that they need to take down this plane that like some hacker hacked into the planes like infrastructure their os that they run on and was like trying to like yeah. crash all these planes in like a 9-11 event and the way that they get it is that they do a remote override and like the the pilot gets down over the runway as they get in this ferrari and they take a cat 5 cable and they plug it into the plane and they hack nice. the os in order to get rid of the OS or get rid of the virus that the hacker uploaded. Huh. Uh, there's the other one of this TV show that fucking drove me insane was that there's a scene where two, this hacker is trying to break into the NSA's like system and this hacker from the or this counter hacker from the NSA is like trying to keep him out. And so she's typing along like crazy on this keyboard and this other guy, this other supreme hacker at the NSA walks up and he's like, oh, he's trying to do this, that and the other, some techno speed and they both start typing Paul on the same keyboard. Both of them are typing uh, at the same time on the same yeah, keyboard. <laughs> and this combined thing between oh, these two shit. hackers is able to keep this supreme hacker out of their system. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Like, what is this called? It's called Scorpion. Oh, well. But it's a, it's a TV show. So like, I don't, I don't want to get into TV yeah. shows yet. But I, I'm leaning toward hackers personally because I haven't seen it in forever. And you were leaning yeah. toward uh, a sports movie or speed racer. It's speed race, racing. It's a sport, right? <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, sure. <laughs> You know, there's there's the there's always the uh, Sylvester Stallone F1 movie called Driven, which is fucking horrible. Ooh. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I don't know. It was like he that... did the re he did the remake of Get Carter, and then he did Dream Driven yeah. right after it, and it was like this one two punch of really really fucking bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, yeah. man. Well, we could you do know, uh, Death Race 2000 if we're gonna get it. Was dude, I love race. Death Race yeah. 2000, oh, yeah. man. Oh, like, I can't classic. talk shit about that classic. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't talk shit about that, but like Driven, I'll add that just in case. Yeah. Get Carter, Get Carter is a really bad one too, especially in the context of like the original with Michael Caine, which is a great movie. Yeah. But let's uh, let's talk over the next couple of days, and we'll figure out whether we want to go with uh, Hackers or um, or I mean, I guess Speed Racer for you. That would be your vote. I mean, it's a movie that I like, even though it's a bad movie. So <laughs> I don't know why you like that movie, movie, dude. Like, what the fuck is? <laughs> I'd have to watch it again and kind of think about why I like it. So. You're you're an you're an informed enough film goer that it actually surprises me that you like that movie. That's fine. It's fine. I can defend it. I can defend it, and it's uh, it's zaniness with the chimpanzee that throws literal shit at people. 
I think that's, that's a great movie. You know, I remember that you and I had this conversation years ago that if you had a superpower, what would it be? And you had said that if you had a superpower, it would be to be able to control your ability to like projectile vomit on command. <laughs> so, so that way you could get out of anything. <laughs> and I remember... <laughs> I remember that I was saying that I think that I think that I would want to be able to shit on command because I think that no matter what the road rage in- incident that is happening, if you were to like shit in your own hand and fling it at somebody <laughs> instead of rage, that it didn't matter if you were a hundred percent in the right that you would walk away from that road rage incident and be like, "This guy's fucking nuts!" Like, I'm not gonna yeah, fuck with that guy. I would not mess with anyone throwing <laughs> shit at me. I just want to get away from that as fast as possible all right well once again listeners that is 1977's Eraserhead by david lynch once again thank you for hanging with us once again i am gabriel chavez and i'm paul Schindel. thanks guys have a good night uh, later people